right. Well, an interesting last couple of hours. Um, we were removed from the meeting. Yep, I know that. Surprised it didn't happen sooner, to be honest. Um, we're going to have David Clements uh, on here in a moment. I don't know. Do we still have Holly? Holly, are you still on here? I'm not sure if you're, if you're still connected. Hello? But... Can you hear me? There you are. Yes, can I can. Hi there. This last witness was pretty sharp. Yes, he was a lawyer, which was helpful. Um, obviously because he understands, you know, how to build a case, what, what you can say and how you can say it. Um, and while, you know, and speaking succinctly and, and that sort of thing. So that was a real advantage to Lake's case that they had, um, you know, an independent lawyer, um, confirming what, what they saw at these, um, uh, voting centers. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you know, similar to the other witnesses, the attempts to pin him on, on, you know, some of these language minutia was pretty entertaining and he, he did a really good job of evading that. Yeah, he sure did. Um, one of the places that, um, I was noticing in the chat where we were all, all talking about what was going on. Um, it, it was interesting to see how, Lake's team built the argument with their, I believe, their weakest witness, which was the first IT guy coming in. Um, and there was some speculation, I think maybe Professor Clements could weigh in on this, is whether or not you have to put somebody on the stand um, to be cross-examined if their evidence or their personal documentation um, is, is entered into evidence in the case. Um, my guess is that you, you do have to so that they can be cross-examined and then also for the added benefit of um, credibility and being able to put a face to, to, the, to the documentation that they, they administered, you know, that, that they entered. Because, you know, you really don't want just papers being, being submitted in, in court if you can put a face to it and show that somebody's credible and believable, I think that goes a long way. Definitely. Well, we have David here, so uh, maybe he can weigh in on that. And I'm sure he has some other thoughts. Uh, David. <laughs> I'm sure he has much more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in so thoughts on this case <laughs> than a non-lawyer does. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. I just caught the tail end and, um, on when you have to take the stand, right? And mm -hmm. typically there's different ways to bring evidence in. Sometimes the parties will stipulate and a stipulate just an agreement between both sides. Usually where you see stipulations is where both sides have a pretty good sense of the theory of their case. And so they know that certain things can come in or maybe doesn't hurt them. Oh, did we lose you? Yeah. Okay, it looks like you're back. Am I there? Yep. Okay. Uh, so stipulations one way to, to uh, effectively uh, bring, but uh, normally and you're back. Okay. Can you hear? All us? right. Do you, do you think should I should I get back in or jump out and come back in, Greg? No, it looks like it's good now. You can keep going. Okay. You're, you're solid right uh, now. So, I'll let you know. <laughs> all right. So stipulations, one way to get stuff in. And then the two things that you're really looking for uh, as a trial attorney is authentication. You got to make sure that whatever it is that you're you purporting to put bring into the record is legitimate. It's got some veracity. And then the second thing is you have to abide by the rules of evidence. And so you're looking at uh, concerns over hearsay. And sometimes there are certain carve outs if witnesses are unavailable uh, where you can have workarounds. So uh, there's different ways to, to, to get things in front of a judge. It doesn't always mean that you have to have a person taking the stand. It's usually more important in criminal cases where you've got a right to confront your witnesses. Did you get a chance yeah. to see the entire last witness's testimony? 
I didn't. I didn't. Professor Clemens, could I ask you a question going back to the evidence? Um, you know, there was a there was a section of the um, testimony today where you could tell Olson was building the case for, um, you know, firsthand witnesses of the chaos at the voting centers. And I believe that that was getting to um, establishing the the threshold of the 17,000 and change ballots, um, of, uh, ballots or voters being affected by, by this case. That's one of the things that they have to prove. And so by bringing in these tech guys and the one tech guy and then the lawyer afterwards, um, I'm curious, it, the, the first tech guy was not that strong in his testimony, but I'm guessing that the, the 50 pages of texts that he had with the other IT guys has some, some meat to it. And I was curious um, if, you, if you put evidence into a case, uh, especially personal documents like these texts, is that a strategic move to bring somebody in to talk about it or to validate their their evidence, um, even if their testimony isn't going to be as strong in person? Well, it could be. You know, there's two things you're looking at. You're looking at weight versus admissibility. Not first, you got the threshold of whether or not the evidence is, and then weight is an issue of how much credibility do you give to that particular piece of evidence. And that's something you got to watch out for because the judges here are very quick to issue limiting instructions saying, look, we don't need to have a bunch of, uh, of redundant money. And that usually comes in under this thing called rule 403. If things are very redundant or du duplicative, you can limit and exclude even relevant evidence. And so you have to be very, very careful because you don't want to carve out and basically give away your case. Uh, but at the same time, the court has really put a vice grip across Team Lake because you only have two days to get this mm -hmm. evidence. So it's like, on the one hand, we want to make sure that we, we exceed that 17,000 vote threshold to make sure that there's sufficient evidence that, that shows that this was gross negligence, this was maladministration, um, and, and so you don't want to, to um, hurt your abilities to do so. So one of the things that I was, you know, somewhat upset about was that we didn't get Katie, uh, Katie Hobbs to testify. And everyone's told me that that's in the know that, well, they didn't have time. And I believe that there's, there's a, a lack of time. But when you've got something that, that's this important, you want to carve out, carve, carve out sufficient time for your trial I think the judge said that he's got, he had to get a turnaround decision because of certain statutory timelines, and I get that. But that just tells me that they should have started the trial maybe a day early or two days early, um, and they didn't do that. So I, I just hope that whatever they're doing, uh, they've got the right people to, to really pass that 17,000 vote uh, gap, because that's going to be key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... I think I think with the with the tech, um, the IT professional, and then with the backup of the lawyer, um, I thought it was interesting that that uh, Olson picked those two. Uh, you know, again going back to the limits of how many people they could have testify and the timing and who is available and all that stuff. There's so many constraints here, but um, both of them testified to the fact that they witnessed multiple. Um, voting centers with their own eyes. And I thought that was particularly strong because they they backed each other up on that and, and reinforced that testimony um, that it was firsthand witness of, of the yes, line. So, you're, you're, so your personal observations, what you see is not, you know, it's not hearsay. You know, you're basically mm -hmm. saying the, this is the number of people I saw. This is who I saw in front of a tabulator walk away or, or get frustrated. So that's certainly one way to, to work around issues of having a bunch of people um, having to testify. Um, the other thing is that you can use the admissions of Steve Ricker, Bill Gates, that were giving their news briefs updates on Election Day, and they basically admitted and conceded to you know massive problems with 
you know, the tabulator malfunctioning. And so you had access to them. So there are ways to not only have your own witnesses, but make the defendants in the case your witnesses. And there's ways to do that by basically getting them to affirm, concede certain points that they really can't dispute. Mm -hmm. You can't dispute in front of the cameras through election day, basically try to placate everyone saying, look, don't worry, don't worry. It's not a problem. Yes, we understand that 40% of the down in Maricopa. Yes, we understand that people had to go to a secondary location. You use those things against them when you have them on the stand or at least uh, uh, in person via Zoom, which I think is the way that uh, some of the witnesses have shown up thus far. Yeah, yeah a few of the know, first witnesses, they, they their testimony was was a little bit interesting because it just seemed to contradict reality, including statements like you just mentioned from some of these these people on the defense side who were on camera. I mean, they're they're on the news, they're on record on socials and other things, reporting on some of these, and then they get on the stand and they say, "Oh, we have no awareness of any of that happening." Uh, no, that we we were tracking wait times in real time, but it was ba it wasn't actually real time. It was based on prior elections. I, I mean, it was just a bit nonsensical. Well, the thing that, that was probably the most uh, hypocritical of the whole thing was there, there, you saw that they would they would typically do what you just mentioned, which is um, say that, you know, this is one, more of a, a local issue. This was something that, that was a, a local administration issue. So they would punt. But here's the deal. Katie Hobbs was threatening these local bodies with prosecution if they didn't certify what happened. And so it's not it's just not good enough to have Steve Ricker or Katie Hobbs and people say, look, this stuff's this stuff isn't really stuff that we're technically responsible for. Well, you are because you basically used duress to threaten these people to rubber stamp certifications at the local level. So once again, you're seeing this sword and shield body of we're going to go ahead and sell out local election workers when it's convenient for us and basically say, you know, that's on them, not on us. Could be an honest mistake. Perhaps, maybe not, but at the, but at the end of the day, we can't forget that in places like Mojave County, what did we hear? The guy said, "I'm taking a duress vote. I don't want to be arrested." So that dynamic, hopefully, is not you know being lost. And I, I, I would hope to to see questions about those duress votes being taken uh, anytime people like Steve Ricker take the stand saying, "Look, that was beneath my pay. pay that was something that I I'm not responsible for." Well, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we saw themes of that that setup from from the defense, where it looked like they were trying to kind of obfuscate by setting up the circular firing squad. Oh, it's not my job. It's not my job. And uh, you know, as a you know, we kind of we laymen like me kind of confuse. Um, the threshold of what you actually have to prove in a civil case versus a criminal case. And I think that there was some of that happening today where some of us were watching it going, wait, just because, you know, you don't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt doesn't mean that it hasn't been proven. Yeah. That, you know, whatever the case has been proven. And that, that's been one of the biggest weapons of the propagandist day one is they, they're providing a threshold that doesn't exist in a courtroom and everyone wants a hundred percent proof, but yet they will deny you access to vital discovery, which would allow you to do that. So, you know, one of the things about machine vulnerabilities we've always talked about, you know, it's the source code that really gives you 100% proof, but no one's giving us the source code. Um, so we have to remind people of what the legal burdens or thresholds are. And in civil proceedings are generally it's preponderance of the evidence you know, more likely than not, it's basically a tipping of the scales. It, you don't have to have beyond a reasonable doubt. You don't have to have, you know, beyond all doubt. That's not even a standard, but you see that thrown out there. Clear and convincing standards seems to be kind of the the standard that the judge is intimating by, by stressing intent uh, because this case is couched in fraud, right? And that, that makes sense to me. So that's a higher standard, but it's not, um, it's not, the same as beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt is is misunderstood. It's basically something that you, you before you make a decision uh, that you have enough information before you act in the, in the graver affairs of life. And so one of the examples is before you cross the street, for instance, it's probably a good idea 
to look left and then right before you cross. You have a dozen experts before you you cross the street. It's just do you have sufficient sufficient evidence to, to satisfy doubts that are reasonable? And right now, that's actually a quite low standard. I mean, everyone who saw the insanity of November eighth, you know, is it reasonable to go through what we what we went through on November eighth? When you've got lines out the door, when you've got people being sent to secondary locations, when you've got 40% of your tabulators malfunctioning, when you've got uh, PDF images for ballots that are being placed on the wrong size paper. Um, so I think there's enough evidence there to even satisfy a beyond a reasonable doubt standard. But that's so, not the case and needed here. Yeah, so right, beyond right. The, just one, one question on that. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely understand the intent issue and you know they're saying well do you have proof of uh, more than those 50 do you have proof of the intent of these people uh etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the last witness was asked oh so you know what's in other people's heads etc and that's not what he's testifying to he's testifying to his own observations about what's going on uh but is the intent even necessary uh, the judge uh I think saw a lot of evidence and in fact the defense attorneys did a pretty good job of uh helping uh Carrie Lake's attorneys on at a few points. I don't know how much the judge picked up on that. He seemed to be pretty sharp, but they can't they can't make up the chain of custody. If they can't, you know, create the chain of custody, which clearly doesn't exist. We know it doesn't exist. Isn't that really all they need? Uh, or did Well, while you're talking, I've got the the case law here in front of me. And it says a court must apply all reasonable presumptions in favor of the validity of an election. And that case is Moore versus City of Page. And here's the quote, honest mistakes or mere omissions on the part of election officers or irregularities in directory matters, even though gross, if not fraudulent, will not void an election unless they affect the result or at least render it uncertain. So we've kind of got this amorphous standard where we, we want to make sure that this is not something that we can categorize as an honest mistake, a mere omission, uh, you know, basically irregularities in procedure. And so what, whatever that is exactly, um, that line, you have to start looking at, at the culpability of, of the people involved. So, you know, when we, when we're starting to define, okay, was this an honest mistake or not? We really have to showcase that, you know, we're not just talking about um, issues with the machines at one location. We're talking about issues with the machines at 70 locations. And the only way that you can re reconfigure the machines is to have administrative privileges. So uh, one of the testimony, some of the testimony that was provided is that this was not accidental. This is something that you had to purposefully reconfigure the machines, the settings, and have the requisite privileges to do so. And it wasn't just one location. So when I look at the Moore decision and I look at Arizona law on, on the presumption of basically favoring election results, how do we pierce that presumption? That's where you have to have, you know, a bunch of information showing that this was just not a one-off thing. And yes, the, the, uh, the, the negligence that we're seeing here was great enough to exceed the 17,000 vote uh, discrepancy. And I think the strongest argument that I'm seeing right now is that the chastity problems here accounts for over 200,000. So that alone mm -hmm. is far in excess of the 17,000 vote, um, you know, vote total that, that seems to at this, at this point favor Hobbs over Lake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, the, the defense was swatting at, and I, I don't think they did a very good job of it, but trying to minimize um, the number of ballots, especially the ballots affected, um, especially in Heather Honey's testimony, where she yeah. was talking, she really went through chain of custody. And one of the points that she made during her testimony was that uh, some folks from Runbeck were told that they could bring their ballots to the Runbeck Counting Center rather than an authorized um, uh voting center to drop off their ballots and that somehow the number 50 ballots came up um, as, as the quantifiable number of ballots and and the defense really seized on that saying see there's only 50 ballots that that were truly affected but 
what was they got absolutely hammered on the fact that Heather Honey was talking about hundreds of thousands. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't know what other way the defense could have gone on that. Well, well let, let me just you know give you some of my frustrations. If you look at the judge's order of dismissal where he went back to the two counts that we're basically addre- addressing today, which is chain of custody and, um, and machine functionality. He, he placed limitations on how many ballots the Lake team could even examine. And so what you're seeing is a strategy from the defendants saying, look, okay, um, wh- what do we have in our favor? We know this is only two days. And so where they can, they can, again, use the sword and the shield saying, is this all you got? And it's like they know in, the, in their back pocket that the sun's going to set tomorrow. And so on the one hand, it's like you're, you're damned be, not because of your case, if you're Kurt Olson, it's because the judge put, you know, binders on your ability to present as much evidence as you, as you like to. So that's one issue. But, but the second issue, the, the bogus number of the, the number of ballots that they were actually able to examine. Um, and so they can say, well, that's just that's a small number. That's 50 ballots. Well, that's not. That's not the team's fault. The judge's fault for issuing an order that allowed them to only. This episode of Conservative Daily is brought to you by DCF Guns. They're not just a supporter and a partner of the show. They're an organization that is on the front line of promoting safe and responsible gun ownership. Along with being a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, they have a lot of different things inside of their three ranges and stores. So they have a gunsmith at every location. They have the ability to do massive amounts of training, uh, anything from beginners all the way up to uh, competitive shooting. Um, They're also the best gun store in Colorado. Uh, Between a massive arsenal of top-tier firearms, competitive pricing on ammunition, they're a go-to resource for newcomers and expert shooters alike. Memberships there start for as little as $25 a month and offer an arsenal of benefits beyond that, such as store-wide discounts and special access to training. Even better, what you're seeing right now is DCF Guns also has an e-commerce option, meaning you can take advantage of the awesome prices without leaving your home. Just visit dcfguns.co and start browsing. I do want to tell you that as a listener of conservative-daily.com, you get an additional 5% off everything in the store. You have to use discount code Joe. That's J-O-E. That's discount code Joe. Go to dcfguns.co and use discount code Joe. J-O-E. That's me. Or it's coffee, cup of Joe. Um, But you can go there and save an additional 5% off every single thing on the site. Um, As always, we'll keep the range hot and the deals hotter only at DCF Guns in Castle Rock and Colorado Springs and now online available to everyone across the entire country. David, you're you're freezing. You're freezing. Hold on one second. Uh, I think you okay. I think you caught up. Go ahead. Okay, so my my point is is that there has been some hurdles that have been imposed against the Lake team by the judge, Mm -hmm. by the number of ballots the Lake team could even physically examine, right? So you know when Heather Honey is is talking about you know chain of custody issues in the hundreds of thousands, that's a great tactic. for the plaintiffs to do because they have been hamstrung by the judge to not have the access that they, that they're entitled to. Well, this is kind of, this was the point of my last question. Um, really, and maybe I didn't ask it well before, but given what you just articulated and the fact that they only have so much time, they only have so much that they were allowed access to. I mean, we see very clearly what the defense is hitting at. And I think you summed it up pretty well. Is that all you have? Uh, if it's very clear that someone did something nefarious, it wasn't just, uh, you know, people were careless or, you know, this nonsensical argument that they've, they've been trying to weave. Uh, the last witness did a great job. Clay Perique did a, a great job of articulating that point. Did a, Clay did a phenomenal job and defended himself uh, against some of the questions from the defense counsel. Uh, but if they can't point a finger strongly to, we know 100% it was him, because you saw with uh, with Jared, he's trying to say, yeah, that would have been under me, but I'm not aware of it. So he's kind of saying, especially after they asked Clay Perique, okay, well, was there hacking? It's like, okay, so you're, you're making the case seemingly for the plaintiffs, 
But then again, if he's the guy in charge, can't point the finger at anyone who did it or that he's aware of anyone who did it, then it kind of just turns into, well, yeah, it's very clear from chain of custody, as Heather pointed out, that we have no idea how many were injected. And you're missing the point by saying it's just 50. And Clay Perry pointed out that someone really did something. But if they just play ignorant and say, well, we only have so much time, then even though we know some stuff went on, we know that somebody cheated, somebody did something. But they get to the end of the two days. Is the whole case just done? Is that uh, I, I haven't had much hope for it to be honest. But that's kind of what yeah. it seems like. Well, I've got to be careful because you know it's 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 hard for me to watch these trials because I automatically think of the trials that I've done and what I would do. And and it's not fair to be kind of the the armchair quarterback because in my mind, I mean, there's there's all kinds of adjustments that I, I would have made. Um, but at the at the end of the day, I want team like to succeed right and so I, I don't want to give people hopium but the way that I would construct this case would be a little bit different in the sense that um, you know withdrawing the subpoena for Hobbs for instance that was a I think that was an error they should have made the judge rule against them and you could preserve that for appeal and and, and this gets to your point Greg that I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can make sense of of uh, this concept is you're looking at a cumulative um, grievance towards we the people cumulative. So you have you have many actors, and so what the, the defendants are doing is it's like you said it's the Mexican standoff. Everyone's blaming or pointing the gun at someone else and absolving themselves of responsibility. Well, that's you know in in the criminal world when I would have to prove a murder case, sometimes you had many actors, and sometimes the trigger man was different than the getaway driver, but you could charge them with this thing called accessory liability. So you would effectively stand in the shoes of different actors and for the stuff that they carried out. So an example would be a bank robber. You could charge a getaway driver for the murder of you know the execution of a bank teller, even though he didn't pull the trigger because they they there was a conspired or joint purpose behind it. So using that as an analogy, you've got many, many different players that are responsible for the conduct of your elections. And, and so you're not, not trying based trust of the elections system. And, um, and so that's why you want to bring in Katie Hobbs and get what you can out of her. That's why you want to bring in Bill Gates. That's why you want to bring in Steve Ricker. That's why you want to bring in all of the supervisors and catalog not only what they've done, but what they've failed to do because through omission, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this is the laughing stock of elections is through omission. So I would use the omissions against them. I don't care if the person, you know, on the, on the line and run back that you don't know who looked the other way and, and had shoddy practices through, you know, through an accessory, accessory liability concept, you hang that around the people that are responsible for administering and certifying your elections. And so every single thing that you're saying, you're crossing. All right. We lost the last few words. I think you're back though. Uh, but I, I do understand your point. And I, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit, uh, Maybe I'm just frustrated because, you know, I'm I'm following what they're saying in the trial, but, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm looking at this bigger picture as not a legal expert, and, uh, you know, given uh, especially the way you described the limitations, which I think is really good because a lot of people um, might not understand how limited it actually is, uh, you know, what the plaintiffs were actually given. It it seems a little bit like it was too like it it's you know, they're trying to make it doomed to fail. Uh, I can't speak obviously to all the motivations of the judge. I don't know. Uh, I'm a bit of a cynic after the last few years, given what I've seen from our court systems. Uh, but the, um, what I Apollo, kind it, of it looking a at, lot like, go ahead. Uh, it feels a lot like the Maricopa audit. Like yeah. there's stuff mm -hmm. there, but yeah. we didn't get it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, you know, and as right. far as the, the judge goes, 
Um, there are some, you know, as you mentioned, Professor, there there are some um, legal stipulations with the election. But I also talked to some folks who are working with the legal teams down in Arizona, and um, they they kind of like the fact that this was on a compressed timeline, especially because the judge had, and this is what they told me, they the judge has a motivation to get this settled before anybody takes office. Um, now, I don't know, you know, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, but to me, it sounds, it sounds reasonable thinking about what kind of uproar there would be if somebody was sitting in the, the office and then the election got overturned, even though we know that that's happened many times across the country over the course of history. But given this uh, political climate, I think that's um, maybe a good sign from the judge. No, I actually, I actually disagree completely. You live and die by the record you make in the courtroom. All the stuff that we know outside of the courtroom has no bearing on the judge's ruling. So if it doesn't, whatever, whatever we're talking about, if it doesn't manifest on the record, it doesn't count. And so one of the things that sounds good to us is because we've been consuming everything related to elections for the past, you know, you know, at least with Arizona for the past two weeks, plus three weeks, four weeks. Um, and so we have a, a strong foundational knowledge of just how jacked up it was. And even if the judge has been following, it's not going to come into his, uh, his ruling. So you're going to have, um, usually you've got findings of, of fact or findings of conclusions of law, and it's all mm-hmm. going to be tied to what is put on the stand. And so um, yeah. you got to be careful when you negotiate a trial for, for the length of the trial, that you give yourself enough time to satisfy each of the legal. Hold on, hold on one sec, David. Hey, David, can you reconnect? I, I just want to see. Maybe, maybe it will fix it. It's perfect, yeah, and, then it, and then it drops. I'll jump out and come back in, okay? Okay. And before we move on, today's show is sponsored by Augusta Precious Metals. They help retirement savers use gold IRAs to diversify and hedge against this crazy economy. Augusta is different. They don't push fear and doom like some gold IRA companies. They're all about compliance, transparency, and educating people to protect their retirement. Augusta has thousands of five-star ratings and hundreds of great reviews. Their most famous customer, quarterback Joe Montana, Loved the company's mission so much, he's now their paid ambassador. Even Money Magazine says Augusta is the best gold IRA company. So don't get into a gold IRA nightmare. Protect your retirement savings with a reliable, transparent company. Get Augusta's free guide from their website. You can go to www.augustapreciousmetals.com. That is A-U-G-U-S-T-A preciousmetals.com. A company that puts its money where its mouth is. Love it. Get the Augusta Precious Metals free gold IRA guide at www.augustapreciousmetals.com and do something now about protecting your retirement. Um. The professor made an interesting point, though. Imagine if all of the counts were able to be submitted or, or heard in this case and they only had this amount of time. I mean, they're, they're going to be struggling just to get two of them Um successfully uh, litigated, imagine what eight would have been like in this amount of time. I mean, that's, yeah. that's bananas. That's almost impossible, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, again, I won't say impossible, but already the, the task is, is large. All right. Mm-hmm. You're back, David. You look good. Hey, you look great. I like your haircut. <laughs> <laughs> So does my mom and every and everyone that cares about grooming. <laughs> Not that kind of grooming. Got to be careful with that word these days. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, go go ahead. Go back. You can go ahead back to your point. Yeah, I, I think um, just thinking about the way that this conversation has taken place over the past twenty minutes or so is that you're seeing skilled attorneys leveraging on what the judge gives them 
Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're the defense, you know that all this is is a clock that you need to run out. You've got two days to run out the clock. And uh, and through all of these limitations and stipulations, basically the the, the plaintiffs are being um, you know constricted in what they can get out there. And so on the one hand, it's a very specious argument, but it's something that the defense are going to do. It's like, is that all you've got? And yet <laughs> they're jam- the plaintiffs are jamming as much information as they can today. And again, they're going to try to do the same thing tomorrow. And the question is, is it enough? And it really depends on the credibility and the weight that you give to the witnesses that do take the stand. Um, and so I think that's why the chain of custody thing is such a crucial argument. And what I'm hoping for tomorrow is um, to hear from a whistleblower. And, and I know that uh, I think Clay Preak is a whistleblower from the pro VNV standpoint, but I hope that he's not the only person that's considered a whistleblower in this litigation. Because when you're trying to show the intent or something that's uh, more than just an honest mistake, you're going to need someone from the inside to say, yeah, I was in the belly of the beast. I worked for Runbeck. And not mm-hmm. only was the chain of custody bogus, I can tell you exactly how that was carried out. Now, we've been led to believe that there's someone like from that has been uh, informing the, the Lake team. And so I think that's what's going to take this from a toss up to a win. And uh, that's what we're looking for tomorrow. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, Did you uh, go ahead? Oh, sorry. sorry, Professor Clements. Did, were there any parts of the case that you saw or the, um, the case that you saw today that were um, especially exciting or powerful um, from your point of view that, that came out today from the plaintiff's standpoint? Well, I, I think if you're paying very, very close attention, Steve's admission that he didn't know the number of uh, ballots that were in the bin were being transported, because uh, this goes back into the chain of custody issue. Mm-hmm. You, you basically are giving reports on election day of 275 ballots being uh, moved from here to there, yet you have no precision on stored, what are the numbers per bin, which tell you don't have proper chain of custody. And that may not seem like a big to focus Oh, man. Yeah, froze. I don't know what's going on. Um, you want to you wanna just come in on the phone, David? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and to the professor's point, I'll call. Um, okay. Yeah, is, I can't hear is, anything you're saying, David. Just uh, same phone number. I just sent it to you again. One of the Oops. one of the go. interesting things. Uh, oh, is he back? Yeah. Let me get his audio in. Give me one sec. Okay. One of the interesting things that um, the professor just raised and. I think uh, was makes a lot more sense now is um, Olson's questioning uh, uh, Jared about his projections for um, uh, staffing and planning and how many voters were going to be moving through the system at any given time um, for for planning purposes and running the election. Um, is smoothly. And at first that didn't make a lot of sense to me, but now looking, looking at this with the professor's input, it's an interesting point because the, um, the numbers that Jared was putting out worked against, worked against them in two ways. One is that either they're totally incompetent by their projection numbers and how they go after projections or if their projections were on and they had all of these issues, it backs into the case that something was definitely wrong with the machines, chain of custody, the ability to 
um, managed chain of custody with the right amount of staff and the right amount of equipment and 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 people and personnel. So it's a it's an interesting angle that they took. It sounded like a technicality at the beginning, but I think that that really hit at the relevance of the chain of custody argument. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, I, I think we have David back. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that the, the salient point of, of what I was mentioning before is that you had concessions of, of Steve Ricker saying that there's no accounting for, for basically 275,000 election day ballot drop-offs. Um, it looks like that estimate went to 292,000. And, and yes. so I, I think if you're trying to simplify this for the judge, you know, Kerry Lake lost allegedly lost by 17,117 votes. And and when you've got a, a number so large that it completely dwarfs the margin of victory, you can't go forward and say that this was a honest mistake. This is, this is fatal. And it was by design because um, you had the issue with the, with the machines themselves that were spending an inordinate amount to that, that uh, drawer three which required you to, to drop off ballots. So um, mm -hmm. th there, there's obviously an orchestrated um, decision by the brass in Maricopa County that uh, just shattered anyone's expectation of, of you know, reliability in, in the way that they vote. And that led to a lot of people leaving that otherwise would have cast a vote on election day. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, Professor, did you hear Jared's testimony about his projections and how they planned um, for staffing and equipment and basically the administration of the election? Did you hear that part of the testimony this morning? No, no I didn't. What, what, what did he say? Well, uh, Olson was going after him saying, well, how do you basically making the case, how do you how do you plan for how to staff and how to man these uh, voting centers? How do you know what your what your needs are, you know, to pull off a, a smooth election? And Jared went through uh, two sets of numbers saying that they erred on the high side for the number of voters going through on election day. But and, and then he tried to explain that, yes, they were properly staffed and they had all the equipment and everything was correct. But then the second set of numbers didn't exactly hold up uh, that argument. And so to me, I thought it was a masterful stroke from, from Olson because the numbers worked in both ways, no matter if the judge believed that there was incompetence with, with the projections or malfeasance. There wasn't much wiggle room between the discrepancy of the numbers that they had projected and how they had prepared with what happened on election day. Oh, wow. Well, well, interesting. I mean, it, it's weird because, you know, at least the press in many jurisdictions, including Arizona, were, were telling people, or at least telegraphing, that, uh, you know, to not, to not vote on election day, right? Uh, that was the buzz. Like, we're not sure we're going to have enough ballots. And the reason why they, they projected that was back in the primary. In Kerry Lake's primary, people were showing up and there were shortages of things. And so um, it's interesting that you point that out because, um, on the one hand, you're telegraphing people that you probably should get in and vote early. Well, that flies in the face of what you're saying at trial, that you were staffed adequately on Election Day. You can't have it both ways. So. Uh, I, I hope that that information was readily available uh, for cross-examination, or maybe they'll open that up tomorrow, because that was reported on widely. Because, And we know that from the inside, the reason why they wanted people to show up earlier was so they could pad their algorithms um, and, and have greater precision for Election Day. Well, and just, uh, I know CanCon's in the chat right now. I want to put this on screen just for a minute. Uh, this is from his Truth Social, uh, you know, mentioning Jarrett talking about the 19th ballots. I know we're going back a little bit, but, uh, you know, here's an actual photo. 
And again, this is something that Clay Perique and, and was mentioned several times. Yeah, they definitely did exist. They had a concrete number. Um, I don't, I don't know how these, how these people get out of this stuff. It's, it's going to be a real shame if this gets quashed. Yeah. And remember, we do have an excellent sponsor of the show, and that is Air Medcare Network. So today's podcast is, again, sponsored by Air Medcare Network. And if you live in a rural area that's hard to reach by road, or if you like to hike or spend a lot of time outdoors or do uh, you know dangerous things like some of us like to do that may require some emergency medical attention, we all want to make sure that our family is protected in a medical emergency uh, and health insurance will not always cover the cost of an emergency medical flight if, in fact, you do need one. But with Air MedCare Network, you are covered. For as little as $85 a year, not only you but your entire household will be covered in case you ever need air medical transport. Uh, this is a super, super good deal, very low cost, and it's insurance that if you need it, you do want to make sure that you have it. I know people personally who have had to cover those costs, and believe me, they are very expensive. So simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash daily and use promo code daily. Receive up to a $50 Visa gift card back when you sign up today. That's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and promo code is daily. Go check them out. Um, well, I think, I think Clay and then did a really good job of, of indicating why it's important for all of the ballots to be the same size. Right. And and, uh, and so I think based on what they had to work with, they were really able to tie ballot size and and chain of custody in a way that served the two counts that, that are up for consideration. Yeah, definitely. Well, and again, the when they brought him back and he pointed out the ridiculousness of them talking about the the printer resizing. Uh I mean, what a what a what a shameful attempt! I know I know they're going for broke because th- this is that moment in history. But uh, uh, how stupid! Yeah, if if nothing else, this yeah. this should uh, show the people who you know who didn't find it uh, imperative to uh, to stand up. You know, in Arizona a few weeks ago, you know, if this goes away, if they if they manage to uh, you know kick the legs out of this case this should be, you know, everything that anyone in Arizona needs to, to make that leap now. Well, well, here's the thing, you know, there's a classic way to, to cross-examine law enforcement and, and you basically create a list of the things that they didn't do and you just keep doing it. And so if, if you've got defense witnesses on the stand that are saying, no, we didn't do this, but this. And they have to explain and provide a defense. You're actually winning. I mean, I want people to know that. Just because they're ex- trying to explain away, if they're spending all day long explaining away the myriad of of, of malfunctioning and, and the efforts that they, they took to fix those malfunctions, that's not a winning posture. They're not, they're not going on offense. They're on defense. And so in, in, there's, a, there's a line there. I don't quite know what it is. It's an art, right, when you do trial. But the more that they're trying to account and explain, you know, explain away all these deficiencies, that's not a winning description. 100% agree. Uh, Holly, did we lose you? Do I still have you? Nope, I'm here. Okay. Perfect. I was just quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Professor... What do you think is the most, let's say, let's say this court case does, does end up um, in Lake's favor. Um, Have you taken a look at the relief, the suggestions for relief in this? And do you have any thoughts on what is the most likely um, path a judge would take? I I don't because we're, we're in uncharted territory right now. Uh, This is kind of a first of its kind. I, I think what you need is a new election now. I don't know if that's what they're calling for. I mean, they, I, I don't, and I don't know if you can just have, um, by virtue of a chain of custody gap or discrepancy, enough evidence to, um, you know, name Carrie Lake the winner. I don't think that'll happen. So I think mm-hmm. the, the appropriate relief is you need a new election and you need to do one without um, 
the machines. And that's the one thing that I'm concerned about is that they might, you know, give Terry Lake a bone and then, uh, and then have everyone tell you, well, we made this sufficient corrections. And the correction here is yep. that we just need to make sure that our ballot sizes are correct. And then all of a sudden our tabulators won't malfunction. Well, the problem is, is that if your tabulators don't malfunction, you still have the problem of the algorithms. And so they need a new election without the machines, with just paper. It would be a, uh, an amazing opportunity to do an Amish-style election the right way. And, and I think voter turnout would be absolutely massive if this was an all hand paper, um, hand ballot or hand tabulation at a, at a local precinct level. And you just mm-hmm. do it right because if you don't do it right and you use the same vulnerable machines, you're, you're going to lend yourself to another legal challenge. And this is going to be tied up in the courts even longer. So um, that's the relief that I would be requesting. And I think that the Democrats would be so demoralized because they know that they would be absolutely screwed if you had an honest election. And I think the voter turnout for Republicans would be through the roof. Right. I agree. This actually, that's exactly what I said earlier. Uh, when we were watching part one before they, uh, they took that recess and took clay back. Um, I was talking with Joe about this a little bit earlier too. That's what I think they're going to do in whatever roundabout way that they, they can manage is they're going to, you know, push off and continue to deflect and play Mexican standoff and, you know, uh, obfuscate the ability to determine in this short time period, a hundred percent, here was the fraud. Here was the, uh, the willful, uh, you know, fraud in the election. And then they're going to say, okay, but there were problems and yeah, it could have affected the election. It did affect the election. However, they want to come out with it. Hobbs and all these traders are going to come out and say, look, we're going to work so hard and, you know, Arizona for everyone use their same lines. They're going to do another election, but they're, they're going to use the machines. Then they're going to come back and say, look, you know, sorry, that, that, that's what I predict. Yeah. Yeah. You just, and that's one of the things that's, that's really troubling in, in just the way that the Patriot groups, other than this one, are talking about the defects with the election is that we're being forced to talk about machines malfunctioning but if they would cease to malfunction, then on then all of a sudden we do we would have an honest election, and that's not the concern. Is that these were malfunctioning in a way that that certainly affected Republicans on election day? But let's not you know mince words. These machines are designed to either malfunction or have an algorithm that favors a pre-selected candidate, and so if they are operationally sound working in accordance with the, the source code, cast vote records, they select candidates and we, we have to remove Dominion from the equation. Right. hundred percent. Is, is the relief only to do a um, re-election in Maricopa County or is it statewide? I don't does, have does the pleadings in front of me. Okay. But I, I think if, you're talking about, um, you know, a statewide race. I, I don't know how you get around doing the election unless it was, you know, statewide. I know Maricopa is what we're concentrating on, but you had a series of counties, yeah, at least four counties that were withholding certification. So I think that the relief has to uh, examine an election outside of just uh, Maricopa. That, that, that would be my sense. I don't know. But doesn't that get back to the issue that we were talking about before is that you can't really address or bring into um, this case other cases that that um, affect affect this case, right? We, nobody's talking about um, Pima County or any other yep. counties um, in this particular hearing. It's only Maricopa. Yeah, the reason why I, I would find it very pro- problematic to run just an election in Maricopa County is then you're also now you're now basically giving a argument for the other side for violation of equal protection of the law. You know, oh. so oh, people in Maricopa get a new have a new election. They don't have to have rigged machines, or they get to have proper, um, you know, measures put in place. But in Cochise County, in Mojave County, 
we didn't get to run our election that way. So I, I think they're going to run into legal challenges if they don't have a standard election process in all of the counties, not just Maricopa. Now, I know that they're trying to focus on the evidence that's there because the numbers are great enough to satisfy um, the alleged margin of victory. Um, mm-hmm. But from a from a rep point, I think you got to open it up. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's what we'd hope, right? That that this this election and you know they are going to fight tooth and nail because the two things that that uh, Lake promised in her campaign is that she's going to attack the problems with the border and election integrity. And those are the two big things. Those are the two main issues that that the establishment needs to stay in place in order to keep the power. You know, they I I think they they are going to unleash some crazy stuff just just to keep this this ruse going. I don't think they have any choice. I mean, there's a. Uh... You know, if it, again, we already know this, uh, but uh, if if they if they let this one go, then it it starts a domino effect. It topples everything. I mean, that's it's already mm-hmm. sort of at that point. And uh, you know, if they if they give up the goat at this point to the standard that that we actually want, it's over, and then it's just a matter of time. So, you know, like I said, right. I, I think yeah, I, I, think- I think they're gonna they're gonna keep you know, keep knocking it down the road and, uh, and then try to make everyone forget, you know, they'll turn the news cycle on some other stuff and start the attacks. I know David, you just had another article, uh, that came out just recently attacking you. I I read some of that. It's just pathetic. Yeah. I I'm going to come on and and hopefully take time to do a a, a formal rebuttal. Uh, I think that, you know, it's one of those where the the people that have made up their minds about where they're going to stand, in this fight had made up their minds long ago. Um, you know, and, and my concern is probably what you all are concerned about. Again, this kind of feels like Maricopa, Maricopa's audit where we got a little bit of pressure relief. There was just enough cheddar thrown our way to where we're talking about it and seizing the crumbs, but it really didn't capture the entirety of the fraud that we experienced in 2020 and now fast forward to 2022 we've got a two-day trial that really doesn't encapsulate all of the fraud that we saw on november 8th that's the concern um and why we all kind of have this hesitant feeling but um regardless um you can't put the genie back in the bottle um if we don't get justice here it's just going to be more fodder for people to dig in and, and continue to to fight the fight Yeah. It's a frustrating it's a frustrating period of history. This is a you know and again, we we are winning. Uh this is this is historic. So, I know I'm kind of sometimes I, I get a little downer because uh I don't know, maybe that's just my personality or maybe I'm jaded after the last few years of watching all this. Um but nonetheless, you know, as you mentioned David, we are in uncharted tor- territory and that that's a good thing. Uh, that's a very good thing. There's never been scrutiny on any of this to this extent, and certainly not uh, down to the wire like this. So we'll. Uh... Yeah, and I think people's IQs are are on election issues have gone through the roof. I mean, yeah. right now you've got a bunch of people that are hanging on to a court proceeding that <laughs> no one would have been paying to four years ago. Right. Yet every the country is is focusing on this right now. Yeah, it's yeah. true. And and the other thing to remember is how far we've come from understanding what what's going on and what's in play um, with our elections. You know, thinking back to 2020 and and even a little bit before that, uh, it, it, once once we saw the election results at 2020, that was almost our go time where people started engaging and figuring out what was going on. And all we were all we could do was point at something went wrong and we know something went wrong. And we've spent two years of 
just tireless work of unwinding the, the technicalities, the functions, the the machinery, the software, the processes, the the lawfare. I mean, yes, we we haven't gotten there yet, but man, have we made some serious progress in terms of understanding exactly what we're dealing with. And I I I'm guessing that the left did not expect us to work this fast, to be quite honest, in such a complex system that has such variety and and nuance across the U.S. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it, that's the one thing that I've been able to say without blushing is that we are dominating the court of public opinion. And, and this is such a, a weird circumstance because we're now talking about an actual case that's being litigated real time. Um, and the IQ, again, of people that have been following this is, is you know, we're laser focused and we're able to follow the argument and, and do things in a way that we might have had the wool pulled over our eyes two years ago. A lot of us were trying to figure out how this voting system worked, what were the ins and the outs. And we pretty much have it all figured out now. And so it's weird, like a bunch of like, you know, people that weren't in the election space, retired mothers, you know, nurses, you know, janitors teachers are all basically critiquing the trial on what needs to come forward and what doesn't. And that's actually a really encouraging sign that so many of us that, um, you know, I may, I may be a lawyer, but I'm telling you right now, laypersons are all of the salient points in this trial, and they know exactly what we, what we need to prove. And that's, that's a testament to, uh, you know, the intelligence of the American people. Yeah, it really is impressive um, to see um, this this amount of focus. And I was commenting with Joe on the chat uh, today, just the, the sophisticated nature of just a casual chat um, watching watching the proceedings today. It was it was pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I'm, I'm thinking about is just. Again, I know that they, they were limited on the counts that they could talk about, but we didn't even get to talk about FTX, the funding of, of campaigns. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't an exhaustive uh, discussion over the PACs. I know that Kurt Olson, um, during the motion to dismiss argument, uh, brought up the PACs uh, that were dedicated to, to combating Kerry uh, Lake and, and other America First candidates. But there's so much stuff there relevant from a credibility standpoint. And that's the other reason why I, I think, you know, in my opinion, it was an error to not subpoena Bob is because mm-hmm. you're, you're doing a credibility assessment of the defendant. And if you catch them in a lie, even if it's irrelevant to chain of custody, it's completely irrelevant to whether or not the administrators that were overseeing chain of custody practices or machine functionality are worth believing. And that, right. that's the reason why you want to have all of these high-profile people in the stand, and you want to impeach them, impeach them, impeach them. And when you do that, you it'll have a manifold effect on your chain of custody argument. It'll have an effect on your functionality arguments. Um, and you need to bring in the stars. No one wants to talk about the guy that's working in the mailroom. They want to look at the people where the buck stops with them and so you need your supervisors in there, and you need and you need uh, Katie Hobbs. But uh, that's crying over spilt milk at this point. Um, but that's the way that I would have approached this case is a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a chance um, later on? Let's say let's say this this case goes in Lake's direction um, for further litigation against. Katie Hobbs, will will we get our Katie Hobbs moment, or is there a is there an opportunity to get Katie Hobbs on the stand? Well, unless something um, happens, because they basically closed the door to that. Uh, there's a way to open that door up, which is if uh, something from the defense side is brought up that um, is impeachable, and the way that you impeach that is with you know a witness. Uh, then there's a there's an outside shot that you could hook Hobbs back into the case, but that that really at this point depends on 
if the defendants say something out there that um, has been contradicted by Hobbs in the past. Uh, so if they open the door, then yes, you can uh, have rebuttal witnesses. Um, but I don't anticipate that happening here. Um, if there's new litigation in the future, or if you know you had an attorney general that wasn't corrupt that wanted to pursue criminal investigation, all of the stuff that we learned through trial today, obviously, um, could be used in a criminal prosecution. Yeah, that's where I was going. If if uh... You know, Lake and and uh, her her ability within a an AG, a, a honest AG. It sounds like there's there's criminal activity here, uh, or at least something needs it needs to be investigated. But um, yeah, I, I would hope that you know maybe maybe this is a blessing in disguise is that Katie Hobbs gets off on the on the civil side of it, but maybe maybe she faces her comeuppance in a in a criminal court. Yeah, well, here's the deal. I mean, I think we're all hoping and praying that something like that happens. Um, <laughs> but we also have to brace ourselves for the reality that we've had someone who we knew from day one was a feckless fraud in in Joe Biden, and yet he's still there. And so we've yep. got at least. Um, the reality of, of two years of people saying, what the hell's going on here at a national level? And so what that tells me is that the, that the people of America will have the capacity for someone like Hobbs to, to be the fraud that she is. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Um, are, are we just going to troll her on social media and say that you're not the real governor while she signs bills that affect Arizonans? Um, so, I don't know if I've seen enough righteous anger and indignation from the people of Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. I think the judge is probably looking at the collective pulse of the people of Arizona. And if if the sign of protesting or the fact that we didn't have massive protests weren't there, I think the judge is going to err on the side of doing something that's going to piss off we the people royally because he doesn't think we're going to do anything about it. That's my That's my sense. That's it for part one of this episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. Part two is coming up next, and you don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. God bless America.